You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Scandal or the scandal of success. I just want to tell you, you do not want to miss any of this series. Uh, if you, and let me say this, on Wednesday nights, I'm going to try to fill in some blanks that I can't have, I'll never have time to get to this morning or next Sunday morning. Oh, I meant to say this in the first service. Next Sunday, you really need to be here Sunday morning, uh, whichever service you choose, but I want you to make sure your children, if they're 12 and down, are in the crew, because I want to talk real frank and very plain with you. You might even call it R-rated next week. Uh, so anyway, um, the scan, uh, you know, it's kind of like a sex scandal, and we're going to talk about that from a biblical viewpoint. I guarantee we'll have to set out chairs. So uh, anyway, <laughs> God bless you, and I'm looking forward to that next Sunday as we talk about that. But um, right now, the scandal of success. Um, so I welcome you to the fourth uh, message in the series Kelly and I are excited to be back home. We had a great time away uh, in the Caribbean, but uh, it's all good things must end, right? And um, let me ask you this as I sort of lay the foundation. Have you ever looked at somebody and they were successful? I mean, they were successful, and you thought, man, they sure are young to be, you know, the president of that company or the CEO, CFO. He said, I bet you his daddy had something to do with that. You ever looked at some lady and she was super successful uh, and, and, you know, somebody turned to you and said, yep, she slept her way to the top. I mean, y'all probably don't talk like that, I know. But it probably ran through your mind. You know, I wonder who she was with. I wonder who he was with her. Ain't no, in other words, we've already put out of our mind that God couldn't surely bring them from uh, the dung hill or the other side of the tracks or without any education or... Surely this ain't a God thing. It's scandalous. Indeed. But I want to show you throughout the word of God, there's a number of things, uh, you know, that don't meet the eye. It don't meet the, the measure that people have. In other words, they didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have the relationship. They didn't have the education. And I'm not against education. I'm not against having a great family name and all of that. But but God can bring you out of nothing. And God can bring you with no name and give you a good name. Amen. Give him praise. But you know, you look around at people sometime and they're really doing pretty good. And you come to the conclusion, well, he either inherited it or married it or stole it. Huh? But, but we sort of put out of mind that well, maybe he had the favor of God. Maybe he had the divine favor of the Most High. And I know that is scandalous to see somebody that literally like David that come out of the Judean hills. He was not the favorite of his father. He was not chosen by his father. He was not chosen by others. But, but um, in fact, he had the worst of all the jobs. And Wednesday night, you'll, get talk, you'll hear about this if you come Wednesday night. But uh, he did not have all of those things. But the prophet of the Lord came to anoint the next king. And, and I'll just give you this tidbit. And I don't want to preach it because I don't have time. But God said to Samuel, don't look 
at the outward appearance because I don't look at the outward appearance. Look, and he said, I look on the heart. So you worry about what I'm telling you, not what you're seeing. Amen. And it was scandalous. I know that the baby boy, the one that's shepherding and all that. So we see that. And, but I've learned over the years that God does not necessarily call the qualified. In other words, I can hang all of my degrees and all of my achievements and all of my trophies and I could put all of this out there and that, that does not qualify me because on my best day, I'm not good enough. And I hate to burst your bubble, but on your best day, you're not good enough either. So, so let me just say this, but God... Um, he don't look at our degrees and he don't mind us having degrees and I'm okay with education. But, but the disciples, for the most part, were ignorant and unlearned men. Now, God did call Luke the physician. We, we got it. Um, he called, you know, educated men, uneducated men, fat men, skinny men, ugly men. Y'all understand what I'm saying? God uses whosoever he will. But then when he picks them, he qualifies the called. Yeah. So I want to, if I may, share with you a concept today entitled The Scandal of Success. And I want to show you a small video. It's 25 seconds. But in this 25 seconds, it's going to change your life. Show the video. That's an anvil. If you'll notice, he's hammering out a chain. Here's what I want you to understand about this. Is that success is hammered out on the anvil of hardship and failure. That's what I want you to get this morning, that success is hammered out on the anvil of hardship and failure. So if you're here this morning, you're going through the deepest, darkest moments of your life. Your existence right now is just in the middle, middle of utter and complete failure. I want to tell you what God does. God takes you and puts you on that anvil of failure. And he takes that hammer, and I know he dangles you over the heat and gets you hot enough, lays you on that anvil and begins to hammer blow after hammer blow after hammer blow. And you feel like, I am so beaten down. I am such a failure. This is so hard. But God takes those failures and, and, and all of that, and on the anvil of hardship and on the anvil of Failure. He forges you into some beautiful success that the world cannot comprehend. Now, occasionally we want to show you that again and again throughout this message, uh, that anvil that is there. And so I want you to understand, it is important for you to understand that the failures you're facing, the hardships, the struggles, all of that that's keeping you up at night and you wonder, where is God? Where is all of this and why am I going through all of this? Please understand that, that success starts with failure. 
Are you hearing me? In other words, God had to let some of you fail because if you kept going in the direction you were going, you were down the road for the path of destruction and devastation. So God had to allow you to fall on your face. Some of you believed you were so successful you could never fail, so God showed you. And he allowed you to fall down so that he could be the one to lift you up. Amen? I want to give you a story this morning, if I may, and it comes out of Genesis 37. I'm going to have to ask you to trust me for a few moments, but when you get home, if you'll read Genesis 37 through 45, you'll understand I've told you the truth about all of it. I don't have time to read it all, but I'm going to paraphrase it and tell you the story of someone who seemed to be an utter failure. His name is Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37. He is the son of Jacob and, and, and Rachel. We, we find him, you know, it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's why we hear of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he had brothers. He had Reuben and Dan and Gad and Naphtali and, and Judah and Simeon and Benjamin and on and on and on. So you, you've got these guys, they're 12 brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. And the Bible says that Joseph was his daddy's favorite. In fact, his daddy, Jacob, made him a coat of many colors and he gave it to him. And all the other boys was kind of jealous about this because I don't know if he made them a coat or whatever, but he obviously uh, preferred Joseph. Now, you, you got to understand, Jacob loved Rachel and Rachel bore him Joseph and Benjamin. And uh, but so... But Joseph was his favorite. And one day, like sibling rivals will do, and these boys are on up in their age. Now, I'm not talking about teenagers. Some of them were on up. And um, um, Joseph came to his daddy and said, Dad, I'll tell you something about our, my brothers now. Uh, and he told them a bad report, you know, tattletaling. Anybody ever been, you know, somebody tattled on you? Yep. I grew up among two sisters, one older, one younger. So no matter what happened, however it got told, I got the whipping. So I'm down with that. Well, anyway, Joseph told his daddy on his brothers. And they, the Bible said, not Mike, but the Bible says they hated him. And in fact, Joseph dreamed a dream, and he dreamed he was out in a field, and he had a sheaf. In other words, they, were, they gathered the grain, and his sheaf was right here. And he said to his brothers, he said, we were gathering sheaves, and I had mine right here, and then your sheaves was all beside you, and every one of your sheaves bowed down toward mine. And the Bible said they hated him even more. And then he said, you know, a few days later, I've dreamed another dream. Well, okay, tell what is it? Tell us about this dream. He said, I dreamed I was out under the stars and I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars. That's mama and daddy and my 11 brothers. That's the interpretation. He said, I saw mama and daddy and my 11 brothers and all the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of them bowed in obeisance to me. And then they got mad, and they went and told Daddy. They said, now how is this this dreamer, this, your favorite boy? He's dreaming, he's dreaming. Jacob said, now son, do you really think me and your mom is really going to, and your brothers, all older than you, you, you we're going to bow down to you? And, but the Bible said, I want you to get this. It's very, very kin to what Mary did when the angel said she was pregnant with Jesus. The Bible says people wondered about this, but Mary pondered it in her heart. The Bible says Jacob, although he talked to the boys and all that, he did consider the matter in his heart. 
So, but now the boys can't stand it because he's told them this dream. He's made it known to his daddy. His daddy already favors him. And so one day, all the other boys was gone to Shechem to uh, look after the sheep uh, and to check on the flocks and the herds. And Jacob said to Joseph, he said, listen, son, get some food together. And I want you to go to Shechem. I want you to find out how your brothers are doing. I want you to tell me about how the flocks are doing. You know, give me a head count, all those things that you do on, fa- on the farm. Well, he wanders out towards Shechem. He got there and he's wandering around the field. And someone said, who are you looking for? He said, well, I'm looking for my brothers. Well, who are they? And he told them and he said, oh, oh, they've gone over to Dothan. So he went down there and when he got toward Dothan, the Bible says they looked up and they saw him. And in verse 19 of chapter 37, they said, here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, here comes that dreamer. Now watch this, they got right to the point. Come and let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and then say a ferocious animal devoured him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So now these boys, it wasn't just a sibling rivalry, they done got serious. Let's kill him. And so when Joseph's brothers came to him, they stripped his robe off, that ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in a cistern. And Judah asked, what will we gain by killing him? Why don't we just throw him in this cistern, which is a big, deep hole. Without, it didn't have no water in it. That's what they were supposed to be, but it was dry. They didn't have no water in it. He threw him in a hole that was so deep he couldn't get out of it. And, of course, they snatched his robe off that his daddy had made in that coat of many colors, and they threw him down in the pit, and there he is, and they went back home and said, now, what are we going to do? They said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go dip this. We'll kill a goat, dip this in the goat's blood, take it back to daddy, and ask him, is, is this his son Joseph's? So they did that. They dipped his uh, coat in that goat blood, and they carried it back to Joseph or to Jacob and said, now, is this your son's? He buried his hands in his face and said, oh, my son, my son, I'll go down to my son in the grave morning. He said, I'm never over this because surely a ferocious animal has devoured him. And now, now, why are you saying this, Pastor? I'm saying it because on that anvil of failure, here's a guy that the Lord had given him an indication that he would be successful. The Lord had given him two dreams. He had shared it with his family, but yet he finds himself disowned by his brothers. He finds himself uh, almost killed by his brothers. He finds himself where his brothers takes that beautiful coat, dips it in blood, and goes back to their father and said, see, is this not your sons? And they knew that that boy was living and refused to tell Jacob. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, here's Joseph. He's promised great success. God has said he's going to be thus and so, but he's disowned by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. And then Reuben says, hey, look, there's some Ishmael. Well, Reuben intended to come back and get him. But one of them spoke up and said, here comes a band of Ishmaelites, people from Egypt. Why, Why don't we just make a little bit of money on him? So they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Now, could you imagine him? Here he is. I'm telling you that he's on the anvil. He is on that anvil of hardship. He's on that anvil of failure. God has told me that I'm going to be thus and so, but I find myself sold by my brothers. I find my brothers lying to my father. I find myself now en route to Egypt, a foreign land. And guess what? He wasn't there for a week. He wasn't there for a month. He wasn't there for a year, but for 20 years. All of that separation from his dad. You know, he's gone now, and he's, he's down in Egypt. But the Bible tells me when he got to Egypt, the Lord 
went to Egypt with him. Amen. Yeah. And so what does that mean to, for you? That means in the hardship that you're in and in the failure that you're in right now, and I've told you that, that success comes uh, forged on the anvil of hardship. In other words, God is planning success for Joseph, but right now he's on the anvil of hardship and failure and he's being hammered out things in his life and it is tough and it is difficult to be there. But listen to me. Uh, you need to know why. Uh, why is it important that, that we know that it happens on the anvil of failure and hardship? Because that gives significance to your failures. Every one of us have had some failures and some hardships and some terrible times. But I'm telling you, if we understand that success is forged on the anvil of hardship, we will understand why we're there. And you know, well... Go ahead and go ahead and praise the Lord. That's all right. Let me help you with this. He gets down to Egypt and he's there, and the Bible says the Lord went with him. And guess what? The Lord gave him favor, and he got to go to Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a high-ranking officer in Egypt, right up under the Pharaoh. And the Bible said he trusted him so much. He trusted him so much that he put him in charge of everything in his house. He said he didn't worry about nothing. Everything he put in his hand. So God went with So what I'm telling you is if you are right now on the anvil of failure and you're being forged and hammered, got to understand that even while you're there, God is with you. The Bible tells me about the, or the Israelites when he sent them into uh, Babylon. When the Babylons come and deported them, he said, God went to Babylon with them. And down by the river Kibar, there they hung their harps on the willow trees. But God was still with them there. So let, let me help you understand this. If, if we have the knowledge of success being forged on the anvil of failure, if we have that knowledge, it helps us make sense of what God is doing in my life when I do not understand him. Mm -hmm. It arms me with endurance and strength to try again when I don't feel like trying again. I remember the apostle Peter had fished all night long and had taken nothing, but the Lord said, let your nets down again on the right side. He said, Lord, we fished all night. Nevertheless, at thy command, I will let down the net again. So listen, it is the impetus, it is the motivation for us to keep going when otherwise we would have given up. When all hope is gone, it, the, the significance, the meaning, the knowledge that success is being forged on the anvil of hardship. With that in mind, it gives us hope uh, that, that uh, when we cannot see the light of day, when we cannot understand why, we can still carry on in raw faith like Job when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. For at that latter day, I shall stand and see God and not another. And though the skin worms have devoured this flesh, yet in my body will I see the Lord. It is refreshing to know that God will use our epic failure. God will use our hardest disaster as a starting point. When you're at your lowest point, just hear the sound of a gun firing and it says that's the start. That's the march towards success. We'll understand that God, he allows us to fail so that we can start over again. 
Our failures do something else for us, and it's important for you to know this. Our failures lets us know that we cannot do it on our own. Some of us have thought we were strong enough. Some of us have thought we were important enough. Some of us have thought we were wealthy enough. Some of us have thought we were influential enough. Some of us thought all of these things and God says, I've allowed you to hit your face against the concrete so you'll know that it's greater. It's he that is in me than he that is in the world and you cannot do it yourself. Our failures teach us that we must depend upon God. It doesn't matter that my dad is influential. It doesn't matter that my cousin is a lawyer. It doesn't matter that I have a doctor friend. I'm telling you, my, I live, move, and have my being in him. So, if you need to know that success starts on the anvil, the failure and hardship, I mean, while while the blows are hitting your back and you're being dangled into the heat till you're glowing red hot, you don't understand. You, the Bible says like a firebrand plucked out of the fire just before it melts. God has his hand on the thermostat and his eye on you. He knows exactly how much you can take and then at the right point in time, he'll lift you out, lay you on the anvil and begin to mold you and form you and shape you into that that you could never be on your own. Well... Hallelujah. So, what do you need to do? It, it helped us to understand that when I'm on the anvil, can I see that picture again, one of them? It helped me to understand that while I'm laid across that anvil and the hammer blows are coming down, it helped me to understand that God is showing me the dome of success. Do not despise the day of small things, says the Lord. Uh, because in that epic failure, in that moment when you've lost everything you had, when your reputation is gone, when your wife or husband is gone, when your children have denied you, when everything has gone out on you, God says that's a good starting place with just me and you. Hey! So having said that, I need you to embrace your failure. Some of us have cried so hard, God, please deliver me. Let me go from this. Don't let this go. I want to show you, I want to let you in on a, on a prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So, Father, here's the mycology part of it. If it is your will that I go to the cross, I'll embrace this anvil of hardship. I'll hold on to the horns of that anvil. I'll hang right there on that place and it looks like utter failure. It looks like epic defeat, but it is truly indeed the start of all success because I'll lay down my life and if a kernel of wheat will die and fall into the ground, it can be raised up and draw everyone to it. So embrace the hardship. Don't ask God to deliver you too quick. Savor the moment. The Marine Corps put up a sign some years ago. It said, pain is weakness leaving the body. Simplify. Uh -huh. Listen, 
forever faithful. Pain is, listen to me, when you're on the anvil of success, I mean the anvil of hardship and, and everything is on you. And, I mean, you're hot, you're tired, you're sweaty. It's blow after blow after blow. But God is slowly with every hammer blow, with every trial. He is forging you into that vessel that he wants you to be. So embrace the hardship. You got in-laws that cuss your name. Embrace it. Hello, you got people that don't like you on the job. Just go to your prayer closet and say, Lord, I embrace them in the name of Jesus. They hate my guts, but I embrace them. You come up on a racist and say, hey, I embrace him or her. Embrace it. Listen. Because that fail, listen to me, that failure, that hardship is a gift that allows you to see your faults, not to wallow in self-pity. Too many times Christians have cried and wallowed in self-pity and asked God to deliver us. When we're, what, in, what we're really doing, if we're not careful, is saying, God, please take me off this anvil. I can't take this no more. I don't want to be ready for the success you've got for me. Embrace the failure. Embrace the hardship. Oh, Lord, I still got Joseph over in Egypt. I ain't forgot about him. <laughs> He's in prison. Amen. You know why he's in prison? Because Potiphar gave him everything in his house. And one day, Potiphar's wife just loved, I mean, she, she fell in lust with him. Oh, man. And I mean, she fell bad. Because, you know, she, she, she said, real, real frankly, lie with me. Come to bed. Potiphar ain't never going to know it. He's at work. I won't tell him. We got all day, every day, while you're looking after the house. And uh, lie with me. And he said, no, no, no. He said, Potiphar's my master, my Lord. I can't do such a thing. Why not? He ain't never going to know it. And I mean, I'm his wife and yada, yada, yada. You know, it on and on. And uh, he says, no, I cannot do such a thing. I, it, it is not permissible. And one day, she just really come on to him. And uh, she grabbed his shirt. Lie with me! He said, I can't do this. Yes, lie with me! And she snatched his shirt and it come off in her hand. He had some of his problem losing his clothes. <laughs> anyway, he, he took out, man, and he, he's gone. He's running. That is the manly thing to do. I mean, it, 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 it seems bad, but it was the right thing to do. And so Potiphar got home. Potiphar got home, and she said, look at this now. The Hebrew that you brought here to the house, he's tried to force himself on me. See, I got his shirt. He tried to rape me while you was at work. So now Joseph, who God went with into the pit, who God went with down to Egypt, who God went with in the Potiphar's house. Now the old devil has showed his head. And Potiphar has him locked up. And now he's in prison. Not for one day, not for two, not to a bond hearing, but for two years. Somebody say it with me, two years. Back to the anvil of failure. It seemed like I'm just about to make my mark and now somebody's painted a wall. I'm back on the anvil again. But if you read all of that passage, we never find where Joseph cursed God. We don't find any of that. But he goes to prison. And there he is. He's in prison. And, and uh, he's there. 
And the Bible says, God went with him to prison. Hey, hey. And the Bible says, God gave him favor with the warden. And the warden did in the prison house what Potiphar did in the state house. He said, you can do what you want. Just look after all the prisoners and you answer to me only. And don't worry about nothing else. I'm telling you that in the ash heap, in the dung hill, God can go with you and give you favor on your worst failure. When you're in prison, when you're in that low place, when you think I'll never see God, God went with him and God gave him favor. It's scandalous. How in the world is God with him in prison? It's a scandal. Oh, by the way, scandals, our working definition is something that causes public outcry by their perception of uh, the, you know, a, a broken law against uh, the law or morals. So, uh, so Joseph, now he's in prison, embracing his failure. He's there. Now listen to me, I'm, I'm not, when I say embrace your failure, I'm not suggesting that you don't try. I'm not suggesting that you don't work hard to succeed. You see, embracing your failure as a gift from God, it is a gift that allows you to admit that I cannot do it on my own. It is a gift that allows me to admit that I need God to direct my steps. And if God wants me to go to prison for a time, I know that's not easy. If God wants me to go into the pit, listen to me, friends, God has this destiny thing figured out. It is a gift that understands that God has given me another chance. And how many of you thank God for another chance? God just may allow you to fall short and find yourself in a bad place so you can help somebody else that's already there. Wow. So, uh, Joseph's in prison. And, and while he's there, the Pharaoh got mad at his baker and his butler. One of them cooked for him, the other one served his drinks. I don't know what ticked him off, but he threw them both in prison. The Bible said in the process of time, they dreamed a dream. And one of them saw, I, I believe it was uh, three... Uh, uh, like clusters of grapes or something, uh, branches with grapes, and um, and the and the other one saw three baskets of bread and so on and so forth. And it, here here's the deal: they could not know their dream. They didn't understand their dream, and they said to Joseph, "We've heard that you could probably interpret a dream." He said, "Well, I can't really, but I know somebody that can." He said, "The interpretation of dreams belongs to God." So so. Um, Anyway, nonetheless, here he is, and um, he says, for you, uh, the butler, the, the, the grapes that you saw, those three boughs or whatever, is, is three days. And in three days, you'll squeeze the grapes into the cup again and place the cup in Pharaoh's hand. He'll restore you to your position. The baker saw that, and he said, hey, I had a dream too. These baskets of bread, and, and birds came, and they, they plucked the bread from the basket, and he says, well, that's a dream as well. The, the baskets represent three days, and in three days, Pharaoh will lift your head off your shoulders. Just as the birds lifted the bread, and in three days, Pharaoh had him beheaded. He told the butler, he said, when you get back to Pharaoh, uh, and you put the cup in his hand again, don't forget about me in this prison. 
And just like you and I, his friends forgot him. When, when, you know, when he got back to his job, he, he didn't think nothing about it, you know. Oh, and many of you right now, you're going through some hardship, and, and, you know, you've got people that have got means that could probably help you financially, that could probably help you spiritually, that could probably give you a hand or lend you or this or that or the other, but they forgot all about you. Mm, I felt that one bounce back. But nonetheless, God hasn't forgotten and in the process of time, the Pharaoh himself dreamed a dream. And he saw seven stalks of corn, and they were blasted and full of mildew and ugly. And then he saw some fat corn. And, and you know, the, the, the blasted and mildew corn ate up the other corn. And then he saw some cows and um, fat cows, nice big cows, and then scrawny, ugly, skinny cows. And then the, the ugly ones ate up the good ones. And, you know, he called in the magicians and the astrologers and everybody. Nobody could tell him what it meant. And all of a sudden, the butler said, hey, as he was pouring him a drink. I remember when I was in prison, you had gotten mad with me about something. I met a Hebrew down there that me and the baker both, we told him our dreams, and and he rehearsed those dreams. He said, and it happened just like in three days, you restored me, and in three days, you killed him. He said, well, go get him. So they went to get him. He says, uh, I've heard you can interpret dreams. He said, nope, but I know who can. Huh? God can. He said, tell me your dream. So he told him his dream, uh, all of it. I don't have time to rehearse it all. And he said, I would suggest that you find a man in the kingdom, smart, that will in the seven, here's the dream, seven years there will be plenty and it will be prosperous. And the next seven years will be the greatest famine and the harshest dearth that has ever hit Egypt. He said, find a man that is smart enough to store grain in the good years and ration it in the bad years. And Pharaoh says, you know what? Who can I find, you know, more in touch with the Spirit of God than you? Huh? Who else could I find but you? And you know what he did? He promoted him gave him a signet ring and said, you know what, you'll ride in the second chariot. In all the parades, it'll be Pharaoh and then Joseph. Now guess what, 20 years ago, he had told a dream that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars would bow to him, that all of their sheaves would bow to his sheath. And they laughed him to scorn. And he had to get on the anvil of hardship and failure and this and that and the other. But now we look around and guess where the famine is? The famine hits Israel as well. There's no food. Guess who's got food? Israel didn't store up food. But Joseph, Joseph had stored up food. He he took one-fifth of all the, he began to store it. And when they found out there was food in Egypt, they sent those boys, or or Jacob sent those boys. He said, I've heard there's food in Egypt, so go down there and check on it. So he goes down there. Guess who's in charge of the grain silos? Yep, you got it, Joseph. He looked and says, there's my brothers. And the Bible says he recognized them, and they didn't recognize him. It's been 20 years. Lots of things had changed. He asked them, he said, uh, how are you doing and how's your family? And they said, well, we're good. Uh, do you have a father? Yeah, we got a father. He's an aged man now. How about, a, you know, his baby brother was still back home with daddy because Benjamin, who was the whole brother to Joseph, Jacob wasn't letting him go nowhere. Nowhere. He said, 
Joseph is no more. And Benjamin, I'm not taking a chance on. So he said, do you have another brother? They said, yeah, we do have one named Benjamin. We have one that is no more. They didn't say why. They said, but we want to buy some grain. Can we buy some grain? Absolutely. So he filled all their sacks up with grain. And secretly, he told his men, put their silver back in their sacks. So they go all the way back home. They get home. They open up their sacks. It's, oh, my goodness gracious. It appears as though we've stolen the grain. Joseph didn't want them to have to pay for it. He knew times was hard. They got back home. You know, and you know how that goes. And uh, um, then they, they need grain again. And, uh, you know, first of all, he speaks harshly to them. He says to them, you guys are spies. No, 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 no. we're not spies. We're honest men. How about that? We're honest men. We're the one that took your coat that daddy made you, dipped it in blood, and told daddy, see if this is your boy. But we're honest men. It's amazing what time will do, isn't it? So they come back, and they're going to get some more grain, and he puts money back in their sacks and all this stuff. But, but, but he decides to hide his silver cup. in ben- or Actually, he said, you'll get no more grain unless you bring Benjamin back. And, and so he kept Simeon. They went back, or, or, or he's going to keep Simeon, or he offered to stay. They go back home, and, and Simeon eventually goes, and, and they eat up all the food. Daddy says, go back and get some more food. He said, Dad, I'm not going back to Egypt to buy no more food unless you let Benjamin come with us. The man straightly charged us and said, if I don't see your brother's face, you will never see my face again. So Jacob says, you know, Joseph is no more. If Benjamin dies, I'll never over this. I'll never over this. He said, but it looks like we're going to die anyway, so take him down there. Reuben said, listen, you can slaughter my two sons, and I'll bear the brunt of this all my life if I don't bring him back to you. They go back down there to get grain. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He's very hard to them. He said, you are spies? No, we're honest men. Where's your father? He, well, he's back home. Did you bring your brother? Yes, I brought my brother. Oh, this is your younger brother. Yeah. He had a meal prepared at his house. They brought him. And you know what they said? Uh, when they're walking over to Joseph's house in the palace, they said, he's bringing us to his house to deal with us for taking the money back with us. That's what it is. He's fixing to get us because the money. He got over there. The Bible says they fixed all their plates, and his blood brother, Benjamin, had five times. whatever. In other words, five pork chops. You had one, you had one. <laughs> five helpings of mashed potatoes. He had five times what everybody else had. When he got through, he put all the grain. You know, they hid that silver cup and he let them go. They hid that cup in Benjamin's sack. He sent his guards out and they overtook them when they had been a day's journey and they said, why is it you've come and bought grain and now you've deceived us and you've lied to us? They said, we're not lying, we're honest men. He said, well, somebody stole my master's cup. He said, if you find that cup with us, that person shall be put to death and the rest of us will become your slaves forever. So from the oldest all the way down to the youngest, they looked, every man opened the sack. Every man opened the sack and lo and behold, in Benjamin's sack, there's that cup. They said, come on, they brought them back now. So there they are in his house. Joseph can't hardly take it no more. He's got them there, and he's got them on the edge of their seat. And guess what they're doing? They're bowing down on the floor to him. Huh? 
Isn't that what he said? That they would bow in obeisance to him. They're bowing down on the floor. They're calling him my Lord. We are honest men. Our father is aged. This is the baby boy. If we don't bring him back, our father will die because his life is bound up in the life of the boy. The Bible said Joseph couldn't take it no more. And he broke down and began to weep. And he said, I'm Joseph. And he put his arms around Benjamin and his around his brothers, and they cried and they wept. I mean, they, they just wept together. I mean, 20 years has gone by. I said that to you so that you would understand. It, it, it seems scandalous that he would have such success. How could it be that he becomes second in command of all of Egypt? Because God had said so. But success was forged on the anvil of hardship and failure. You needed to know that so that you could understand and your hardships and your failures would have significance and meaning while you're going through them. And then I ask you to embrace that hardship. Joseph, every time we see him, he embraced the hardship as a gift from God. And listen, as we embrace our failures, we will begin to understand the why behind the what. We'll understand why it had to be me why it had to be you. Why did I have to have such utter failure? Why couldn't I have just lost $20,000 instead of $75,000? Why did I have to lose this or why did I lose that? And I said that to say this. I believe as we begin to embrace our failures, we'll, we'll understand why God let it happen the way it happened. But here's, here's what I want you to get. When he told his brothers that, his brothers lamented and cried. And they said, they were sorry that they sold him to Egypt. They were sorry that they told daddy that all of these things, and we were sorry about it. And Joseph said to them, you didn't send me here, but God did. He said, you intended this for my harm. But God intended it for my good. You intended to hurt me. You hated my guts. But God intended to love me. And God intended to make me a success despite what you thought. I want to read a passage of Scripture and then I'll be through. We're going to pray. Genesis 41 and 51. Here's what happened afterwards. In fact, hold it before you show it until I get ready to read it. Just blank it out for a second. In the process of time, Joseph was so impressive to the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh gave him one of his daughters to marry. So he marries her, and they have a child. And they named the first one Manasseh. Let's see it. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He said, because God has made me to forget. I want to tell you, when you're on the anvil of hardship and failure, God is able to make you forget the hardship that you had to go through. And the next verse says he had a second son and he named him Ephraim. And he said, it is because God made me to be fruitful in the land of my suffering. 
<laughs> if that ain't the scandal of success, what is? God has made me to be fruitful even in the land of my suffering. Stand with me if you will. What I want you to realize, our success sometimes is scandalous to other people. I imagine the people of Egypt looked around and said, why in the world do we have a prime minister, so to speak? Why do we have this guy who is not even an Egyptian, he's a Hebrew and he's over everything. Scandalous, causing public outcry. And I wanna tell you this, success can come from the Lord. You ain't strong enough, I'm not strong enough. Please understand this, that that success is forged out on the anvil of hardship. And on this epic failure and this hardship that you're enduring, please understand that that is the starting place for greatness. And if you will come to that understanding, it will help you to have meaning and significance while you're in the place of hardship. If you'll embrace that that you're going through. Why, Pastor, why? Because God will help you understand the why when you begin to embrace the anvil of hardship. Can I see that anvil one more time? God will help us when we begin to embrace that when we, when, when we see it, we don't like it because the hammer blows. All of that. But God is able to make you forget all the trouble that you had. It's like that woman that has that baby. I'm never going to do this again. I'm only four centimeters and I'm about to die. Oh, I'm seven centimeters and I know I'm dying. Oh, the epidural didn't work. Like, you know, and on and on and on. Oh, my, my. But all of a sudden, when that baby comes forth, that little wrinkled face, he's crying. They clear his little throat. They lay him up on mom's breast and she embraces him and kisses him. Oh, and she leans over to the husband. I, I'm going to have another one. I got you. Why? Because the crying baby makes her forget the pain that she just endured for 13 hours. And then God calls me to be fruitful in the land of my suffering. Let us pray. If you're here right now, you say, Pastor, I know something about that anvil of failure. I'm there. Can I see your hand? Come on. All around the building, there's a number of hands going up right now. I'm on that anvil of failure. And so many times I felt like giving up. I felt like dying on that anvil. I want you to understand that it's on there that you'll be forged into what God wants you to be. Don't leave the anvil too soon. It took a long time. It took a long time. There were some setbacks. Sometimes we think we've made it and we, we have to go back. But I know God is able to help you. So if you've raised your hand right now, let me pray this prayer for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man, woman, boy, or girl that right now is struggling with the scandal of success. They know they've been called to greatness, but they're working right now. It, it looks like all hell is against them. Everything is messed up. Uh, like Joseph, estranged from his family, deported to another country, sold as a slave, sent to prison, accused wrongly, betrayed by his brother, on and on and on, Lord. But it is the anvil of failure and the anvil of hardship where you were hammering him out to be a great and successful leader. So right now, help them to understand the anvil of hardship. 
Help them to understand the greatness that you have in store for them. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, good, not evil, to give you an expected end, Jeremiah 29 11 says. So right now, God, help us to understand that to the world it may be a scandal, but for God it's the divine plan that he had in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.